All right. Any questions? No, back at it. Episode one. I know I'm like awkwardly looking off into the distance when I talk, but that's because if I make eye contact with you, I feel like I'm going to start laughing. So I'll do better about that this time. Here we go. Here we go. Episode number one. No, well, two. Two. Exactly. First real episode. First content. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, here we go. Hi, I'm Lexi. And I'm Lane. And this is My Therapist Told Me, the podcast where we unpack our lives and encourage you to do the same. Welcome back, Lex. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Lane? I'm doing well on this lovely Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about attachment styles. How are you feeling? Let's go. I'm so excited. I love attachment styles. This should be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well then tell me, what do you know about attachment styles? So attachment styles are all about the way we relate to others in our relationships. And from what I've seen, they're shaped very early in childhood um, and, you know, can influence uh, the way we treat relationships for the rest of our lives. Hmm. Are you sure that you don't want to do this episode? (laughs) I'm completely certain I don't want to do this episode. Okay, well, we'll jump in then. So just for some background, the majority of our research for this episode is coming from the book called Attached, which was written by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And it's truly a a really fascinating read. And so I would definitely recommend it if you're a book queen like Lane and I, or if you just want to learn more about this topic. If we're plugging, do you think they would sponsor us? Ooh, maybe. We can write them down. (laughs) So research indicates that adults, like you mentioned, have these patterns of attachments with their romantic partners that are really similar to the patterns of attachment that they had with their parents throughout childhood. So like you said, it was initially assumed when all of this research came out that attachment styles were the product of these direct childhood experiences. So for example, if you had a parent or parents who were available to you and highly sensitive to your needs, if you cried, they brought you a bottle, something like that, then you in turn would be secure as an adult. Versus if your caregivers were really rigid and distant from you, and when you called out to them, they maybe didn't respond as quickly, the theory would say that then you would become avoidant. But recent research indicates that this may not be fully accurate. Uh, I know! Some, some researchers think that there are other factors that come into play, like significant life experiences or um, events that happen in your life. And I also saw something that said it may be based on your genes, but I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I am not so sure about a genetic component here. This yeah. feels very nurture, not nature, but Ooh. I'd be intrigued. Yes. Um, but like you said, attachment essentially means the way that people perceive and respond to intimacy. So while that's one specific thing in our life, our 
supposed attachment style can impact our ability to communicate our expectations for our partners and even how we navigate conflict. So even though it's kind of this one classification, it can have a really big impact on our relationship as a whole. So as we're talking attachment styles here, what I'm hearing is that it's not necessarily just going to be in our intimate relationships it could show up professionally or in our platonic relationships and have an impact in other parts of our lives yeah i think that's definitely true i will say that the book tends to focus specifically on romantic relationships but i absolutely think that attachment can impact you know how you show up to your workplace or how you interact with your friends. So that's something to consider as you think about your specific attachment style um, and something to keep in the back of your mind as we continue to go through this. Great point, Lane. Thanks, Lex. (laughs) I just wanted to be sure that, you know, we kind of had a holistic understanding, but I guess today we'll focus a lot more on our experiences with our attachment styles in our romantic relationships. Yes, definitely. Um, And just to continue on, there are four main types of adult attachment. There is secure, anxious, avoidant, and anxious avoidant. Do you want to guess which one I am? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say anxious. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) We are too similar as human beings. I also have an anxious attachment style, I would say. Yes. And I just want to say right off the bat that I think sometimes it's easy for us to compare and say that, oh, you know, I'm anxious. This is a bad thing. But the authors really reiterate throughout the whole book that there shouldn't be any value placed on your attachment style. There's no right or wrong or good or bad. And you can work to change it if it's something that you want to do. But you can also accept that this is who you are and kind of continue to confront things in your relationships knowing these characteristics. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I just want to clarify that just because Lane and I are anxious, it doesn't (laughs) mean that there is anything inherently wrong with either of us or that we're not the right kind of attachment. So hope that preach. preach. Okay. So let's talk about the different types. I want to start with secure and I want to ask you, Lane, what percentage of the population do you think is secure in their attachment style? Well, coming from my view, I feel like how could anybody just be easily (laughs) secure? (laughs) But I'm going to go out and just say like 40%. Wow. That's very close, actually. Yeah, it's 50%, which I find, candidly, to be shocking, considering every single one of my partners has been extremely avoidant, but we will talk about that later. I had partners who were also very avoidant, and now I have Andrew, who somehow I think might fit in that 40%, which is super interesting. 50%, 50%. I'm sorry, 50%. Not Let me not use my guess. Um, Some other characteristics of securely attached people is that they are extremely comfortable with intimacy. They effectively communicate their needs and their feelings to their partner. They have a strong reading of their partner's emotional cues and tend to be very good at responding to them, and they don't get easily upset over relationship matters, which is frankly bonkers to me. (laughs) I I couldn't couldn't imagine, personally. Couldn't be me. Could Could not not be me. (laughs) Okay, 
How much of the population do you think is anxious? So if 50% of the population is secure, I would say that uh, 25% is anxious. Wow, you're so close again. It's actually, actually yeah, it's actually 20%. Oh, okay. Um, which makes over. me feel really special. One in five. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of characteristics for anxiously attached people is that they crave intimacy, but worry about their partner's ability to love them back. Their relationships tend to consume a large part of their emotional energy. They are very sensitive to fluctuations in a partner's moods and oftentimes take that change in behaviors personally. And they experience a lot of negative emotions within the relationship. Um, right off the bat, do you feel like any of those kind of match who you are or how you have been in past relationships or even in your relationship with Andrew? Yeah, I can definitely say that in past relationships, I think all of those were pretty prevalent. Uh, with Andrew, however, I think early on, you know, we were long distance for quite some time. So I was definitely more anxious and a lot of those stuck um I think through therapy actually I worked on mine and so I don't see a lot of those tendencies as much the moods the the thing you mentioned about mood swings and like yeah. being very like sensitive to those mm -hmm. that speaks you know definitely in my relationship but also I would say in a lot of like my personal like just platonic relationships as well just very sensitive to those other people and um that could speak to something larger but Lex do any of those speak to you in your previous relationships yes I am a single queen right now so I'm <laughs> looking for nice Italian men who are willing to move to North Carolina if you don't already live in North Carolina um <laughs> would you be willing to move to Italy though would I be willing yes I would 100% be willing to move to Italy only if I can bring my whole family as well so I think I think John would be down to go <laughs> yes John is my very Italian father shout out John shout um, out John we shout love out John. Papa John um <laughs> Yes. So yeah, I mean, definitely. I think something that I noticed, uh, I mentioned in the previous episode that I recently went through a breakup and towards the end of that relationship specifically, I was noticing that like my relationship was taking up a lot of my time. It was distracting me. It was there when I was falling asleep. It was there when I was waking up. It felt honestly like all consuming and I'm just now realizing that that is not normal when you are in a secure relationship um so interesting for me to note but I definitely do agree that a lot of these have applied to me in my relationships yeah okay let's move on to avoidant how many people do you think are avoidant lane so if we have 50% of people he's secure, doing the math he's mad. I'm, I'm trying to calculate here <laughs> Uh, also, I'm trying to recap for everybody who's zoned out when we were asking <laughs> this question. So if 50% of people are secure and another 20% are anxious, um, let's go and say another 20% are avoidant. So it's actually 25%. Oh, I got my numbers flipped. So close. 
but yeah, so avoidant people tend to equate intimacy with the loss of independence and therefore seek to minimize the closeness within relationships. They crave autonomy and self-sufficiency, and they feel uncomfortable when their partners get too close. They tend not to open up, and they don't spend a lot of time worrying about their relationships, but they often send mixed signals and don't make their intentions fully clear to their partner. Avoidant people tend to embrace the notion of the perfect partner. I thought this was really interesting that their perfect partner will inherently meet all of these different qualities. And this is a way for them to push their partners away because no real life person can actually ever live up to that expectation. So that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I felt that personally. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. So the last category is anxious avoidant. Do you want to guess how many people anxious are anxiously avoidant? Let's go with a solid 5% of people. Oh my gosh, you're right. It's 5% <laughs> and the book straight up does not share any information about them. So if you are anxiously avoidant, you need to do your research elsewhere because this is not the podcast <laughs> for you. <laughs> I'm just, That's it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm assuming that it's just like some sort of combination between the two, but it's, they sound like opposite ends of the paradigm. So I'd be curious to see how they merge together. Yeah. I mean, I will say they probably included like a sentence or two that I may have skimmed over, but I think it was <laughs> this idea that, like you said, they're, they crave that closeness, but then they recognize when a partner gets too close, they push them away. So it's definitely something challenging to have to navigate. And I do want to give a quick PSA here that we should not stereotype attachment styles based on gender. Um, I feel like throughout mainstream media and even, you know, our lives, how we grew up, we're taught that women are overly clingy and desperate to be in these relationships, which may align more with the anxious style of attachment and that men tend to be cold and they want to be free in their lives and these sorts of things but it's really important to note that your gender does not determine what type of attachment style you will have and we should be really careful not to just assume based on someone's gender that they will present their attachment style in a certain way so PSA for the day great call out thanks so if you heard those things that we just shared and you still don't know what type of attachment you have, I think you need to spend some time reflecting personally because hopefully you'll be able to notice. But if you are confused, there are online quizzes that you can take that help you figure out and narrow down what attachment style you might have. And maybe as Lane and I continue to figure out how podcasts work, we can figure <laughs> out how to link one of those quizzes somewhere. <laughs> so You're not that good yet, everyone. Bear with us. But... <laughs> As soon as we can, we will endorse a quiz. Yes, we will. We will figure out how to share that with you all. But there are also ways that you can determine the attachment style of other people, which I think is interesting. And the book specifically gives five tips. So the first tip is to determine whether the person seeks intimacy or closeness. As we've talked about, it's pretty straightforward that people who are anxious will seek intimacy and people who are avoidant will typically avoid it and that secure people feel comfortable with it. So one helpful way to note 
The second is to assess how preoccupied they are with the relationship and how sensitive they are to rejection. Again, we can kind of determine if they're not really putting any effort in or they're not really thinking about it, um, then they may not they may not be into it. The next is to assess their reaction to effective communication. As we talked about, secure folks are really effective in their communication to their partners. So if you effectively communicate and your partner either rejects that or gets mad at you or something like that, that's probably a symptom that they have or that's probably a sign that they have an insecure attachment style. The fourth one is to look at what they are not saying or doing. So oftentimes people will say that, you know, they're going to fix things or they'll get better. But if you see that they're not actually making any change, that could be a sign that they are also not secure. And then the last one, the last sign is to not rely on one specific symptom, but to look for various instances. So if you're dating someone and they're not interested in intimacy, but maybe all the other signs show that they're secure, that could just be worth having a deeper conversation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should immediate jump, immediately jump to the conclusion that they are insecure attached, insecurely attached. So what are your thoughts on those, Lane? I think all of those tips are super interesting and like an um, easy guide for gauging people's, um, you know, like your partner's attachment style. I think the last one is super interesting, just knowing that sometimes things aren't indicative of some huge like psychological theory and you just need to have a conversation. And I think that it's super important to call that out sometimes that you might have tendencies in some of these um, at times, but you don't necessarily have an attachment style itself and that behaviors aren't necessarily linked to something greater and they're just a behavior. Mm. Yeah, Is we'll that talk later? about that later. Oh, okay. Cool. No, that's a good that's a good segue. I also want to talk about how there are certain types of relationships that the authors say work best. So first and foremost, they say that two avoidant people will likely never date, basically because they'll just like ghost each other for infinity, which I think is really <laughs> interesting. Because <laughs> they'll both be so avoidant that they'll just be like no <laughs> <laughs> two ships forever passing in the night yeah, basically. <laughs> um avoidant and anxious people tend to end up in a not so healthy cycle which we'll get back to a little bit later um Ooh. but what i found to be most interesting about this is that a secure person dating either an anxious or avoidant person can actually be a really good match so research has shown that secure partners tend to make their insecure partners more secure so they call this the buffering effect so that kind of relates back to what you were talking about with andrew where you know you think that he's secure and that actually you may have become more secure during the relationship with him because he doesn't trigger you. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. I, that's crazy. Imagine a partner that doesn't trigger you. Can't uh, relate. <laughs> I think that that's very true. And that's been my personal experience with all of this is that, you know, Andrew has definitely made me more secure and has made me feel more secure in our relationship and be a little less reliant Um on that validation constantly and, and more um, being like able to just trust him and, and mm. trust the relationship um, that we do have. Goals. 
goals. Goal. <laughs> Bare minimum goals, but still goals. <laughs> With our track record, though, a goal is okay. A goal is okay. <laughs> the bar is on the floor, but that's better than where it has been. Exactly. Okay. Uh, also, I would not be the research queen that I am if I did not present critiques. Critiques. Are you ready? I'm so ready for this. So I found these on the internet. So I'm sure some of them are just like angry people. And I'm sure you'll understand why when I get <laughs> to a couple of them. But some of them I think are very valid. So the first one is that some people feel that when we assign these attachment styles that we pigeonhole people and that there's a lot more than just an attachment style that determines whether a relationship will be successful or not. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that a lot of it has to do with, you know, your characteristics or, you know, the trauma that you've experienced and what you're bringing into the relationship. So I definitely agree with that statement. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want people to be feel like they're pigeonholed with these. Um, mm -hmm. um, but I think that goes back to maybe a bit about what I said earlier with just like sometimes it's not the attachment style and it's just like an issue that arises. So makes yeah, sense. Definitely. Okay, here's the part I was talking about angry people. So no <laughs> offense to the avoidance, but apparently some avoidance have expressed that they feel the book portrays them in a negative light. I do think a lot of the characteristics they share could be perceived as negative, but also I feel like they're true, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Lexi, have you had experience with avoidant people? To I know have, I have. <laughs> so I will say while I was reading the avoidant sections, I called my parents and read them off and they were like, that sounds like fill in the X here. And so <laughs> I just think that maybe it seems like it's negative but I also feel like it fits and I think it's important to say that you're not gonna fit every single one of them every single characteristic like one example is that they say that anxious people can get like really upset when they're not in a relationship and I as a newly single woman maybe that will change but I feel really empowered by being single right now and so I think it's important to say that not every single characteristic will necessarily apply to you within a specific attachment style um, but going off of that some of the avoidance thought that the book prioritized <laughs> anxious people which I did think was interesting they talked about confirmation bias because if you think about who is going to read this book it is probably not secure people because they're probably in a happy stable relationship it is probably not avoided <laughs> people because they will avoid the book or anything to do with figuring out intimacy in a relationship so it's yeah. probably the the anxious people and I do think that's interesting because a lot of the book does talk about how anxious people can try and overcome that anxiety but I I just feel like you know that's one perspective okay finally the critique the last critique is that this is not a replacement for therapy and that it should not be a standalone tool, but used within the context of therapy. And again, I totally agree, but I also don't think that the authors ever say, like, hey, this is instead of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Yes, but also if you look at it within context, I don't think they were ever claiming that. So if you're out there attached, I'm here to back you up. The authors of Attached sponsor me. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like that last one is super interesting. If somebody was just like, this is not a replacement for therapy. And it's like, did anybody say that? Did anybody endorse this uh, as a replacement for therapy? And I think it's, as we said earlier in the last episode, therapy is just another tool. It's a resource for you to like work on things related to this. So to be used in the context of therapy is much more important than trying to find a replacement for it. Definitely. Definitely. So Lexi, we've been talking about attachment styles. Um, So now to speak to your personal experience, what did your therapist tell you about this topic? Yes. So thank you so much for asking. I'm honored to be answering this question in front of maybe the two people who are listening right now, which I assume to be Andrew and my mom, if we can figure out how she can stream it. And Andrew's mom. That's true. So three people. (laughs) Thanks for being here with us. Yeah. So in my last relationship, I mentioned towards the end, I was really I was really watching the cookie crumble, okay? Not in a good way. It was falling apart. I was noticing that I was an anxiously attached person and he was a very avoidantly attached person. And so I voiced to my therapist that I desperately wanted a secure partner, that I felt like a lot of what I was dealing with would go away if I had a partner who was secure. And she told me two really interesting perspectives. The first thing she said is that I should be looking for security within myself. Of course, she said that. Of course, she said that. She had to. That's like part of her degree. She has to say stuff like that. Agreed. (laughs) But it is something that I've been trying to work towards because I do feel like for a really big part of my adult life so far, I've thought that things would just get better when I found a partner who I clicked with and got married and settled down. Like in my mind life would just become so much easier after those things happened. And now that I am like an actual functioning adult, I'm like, wow, my prefrontal cortex was not fully developed (laughs) because that is not true. That is not how this works. But I do feel like I've been putting things off and like waiting to do them with the future love of my life, whether it's like traveling or like painting the cabinets green, which is like something I really want to do in my life. (laughs) I felt like I was waiting for a person to share it with. But if I keep waiting, I'll never get to do the things that I want to, because by the time I meet my partner, the list will just be too long and I'll never get to everything. So I'm working on radically loving myself, which means speaking really kindly, taking myself taking myself on dates and doing the things that I want to do, even if I don't have a partner to share them with. I love that. What have you crossed off so far, Lex? I've done some traveling on my own, which is not something I ever expected to do and done some traveling, bringing him back up, shout out Papa John. We did go to the motherland together and it was lovely. (laughs) So doing some of that and even something like this, like I feel like I would not have had the time and the energy to fully commit to the podcast if I was balancing the relationship that I had because it was taking up so much of my time and my energy. So even just 
doing things like that. And you best believe when I move into my next house, I'm painting the cabinets. <laughs> so HGTV sponsor us. Yeah, honestly, dream. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll start another side hustle in which I show you how I remodel cabinets. <laughs> comment if you would tune in just <laughs> don't. <laughs> okay anyways back to the story the second thing she said it's that it, is that it's not necessarily fair to ask for a secure partner if I'm not also willing to work towards being secure which was like oof go off girl um and I, I do find this particularly interesting because the book mentions that while attachment styles tend to stay stable they can be plastic so they say that 70 to 75 percent of adults remain in the same attachment category throughout their lives but that 25 to 30 percent report a change wow yeah pretty pretty big pretty big change like 25 to 30 percent of the population changes I mean I think that's significant I mean the first step in being able to change your attachment style is even just taking a step to look into this sort of stuff and becoming aware of it and as I mentioned earlier when I read the description of an anxiously attached person I felt like a lot of it applied to me and so now I can recognize those things and try to be cognizant of how I'm reacting in those ways or the mindset that I have or the patterns that seem to come up in my relationships. And that leads me to the second thing I chatted about with my therapist. So as I mentioned earlier, I have dated almost exclusively avoidant men. <laughs> which I love that for me. Um, and she thought it was really important for me to understand why this pattern exists. And that is because of a little thing I like to call the anxious avoidant trap. Have you ever heard of this, Lane? I have not heard of this. Tell me okay. more. I'm excited. So it's essentially a roller coaster of a relationship that people experience when one person is avoidant and one person is anxious. So it looks like this. This is a real life example with no names. <laughs> so my avoidant partner would do something that would allow us to become close. So maybe that was a special anniversary date or a vacation together or something why are you laughing? I'm not. I'm just gagged. I can already. I'm already picturing it. Like I, I literally know your partners. Yes. Well enough to understand where this is where going. Where this is going. Love it. It would do something really nice, and it would allow us to become close. And because of that, my attachment style, my attachment system would quiet like any normal human being. When your partner does something nice, you think things are okay. That is a normal response. Not that the other person is not normal. Let me clarify. Sorry. Now I'm just getting heated about my exes. So this is not, it's not, it's fine. Okay. So anyways, my attachment system would quiet and I'd be like, okay, things are great. But then my avoidant partner would receive this newfound closeness as a threat and would pull away even further than he was before. And being an anxiously attached person, we talked about how you can sense changes in behavior. So I could sense that something was up. It would trigger my attachment system. And then around and around we would go. It was just every couple of months we would have something like this happen. And we would try and talk about it. But it would never change because that's just how we were as people. So when I noticed this pattern, 
I had a sense that this was not healthy for me and it was probably not the right fit for a relationship, but I felt too emotionally connected to leave, which was really challenging. And looking back, I know that my partner felt the same way because he felt too connected to leave, but he also knew that this was never going to get any better because we were just triggering each other and then having moments of quiet and then triggering each other again. So if you're someone who recognizes that you're currently in this anxious avoidant trap, there are a few ways that you can overcome it. The biggest way the authors recommend is to identify a secure role model and then try to emanate the characteristics that you see in them. I don't know how I feel about this personally because it feels like then you're looking at other people and being like, well, their relationship is good. Mine should look like this. And I feel like there's that weird dynamic oftentimes where people's relationships look fantastic on the front. You might be looking up to somebody who actually doesn't have as healthy of a relationship as you might think. Definitely. Great point. So something interesting to think about, but the authors ultimately say that people have to recognize that this type of relationship, an anxious avoidant relationship, takes compromise. There is always going to be one partner who is putting their needs to the side. And so you have to make sure that there is a balance there or else one of your partners will get burnt out and the relationship won't be able to last. So it does have to be a really conscious choice that both partners have to make. So the last thing that I want to talk about is that as an anxiously attached person, I did have to make a lot of those compromises for my past partners. And sometimes when I decided to pursue a new venture or hobby, I worried that I was only really doing it so that I had a backup in case they dumped me and I suddenly needed to fill my time, which is weird that I would even think that way. But it makes sense when you think about you know, the anxious characteristics. And so I asked my therapist that. I said, what if I'm doing all these things just to fill a hole when the breakup inevitably comes? And she said, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's okay, girl. She actually said, that's very healthy. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, that means that if the breakup does come, then you'll have a full life. And that like totally changed my perspective and kind of connects back to what I was talking about earlier about being a whole person without a partner because I've shifted my mindset in this way to now I want to have a life that is so full of fun and joy and adventure that when my next partner comes in, I have to make room for them, right? Versus leaving it wide open just in case the person comes along and then I'm like, Well, my schedule's clear, so we can hang out all the time. And I just think that's something that I deserve. I deserve a full life, whether it's with a partner or not. So that's something that I'm working on as well. That last one's super interesting. I I feel like that flipped my perspective. I had never thought of it like that. And to to hear it put in such a way where you're adding them to your schedule and adding them to your life and integrating them with everything rather than clearing everything that you wanted to do and then, you know, adding them completely is is such a great perspective on this. Thank you. It's taken many years in therapy to get here. <laughs> so yeah, that's all that I have. What what do you think? What are your initial takeaways, Lane? Yeah, this has been a super interesting conversation, Lex. Thank you for doing the research on it. I 
personally, as someone with an anxious attachment style, I found it super interesting to hear how you are coping um, both with this and your past relationships and learning to um, understand your tendencies. So that way, you know, you can have a healthier um, relationship if and when that comes. If. Um, if and when you don't know oh where my god he thinks going. i'm gonna be a spinster <laughs> so when that relationship comes <laughs> you can be um a healthier version of yourself you know especially as it relates to our shared attachment style that's like the point that like i'm really trying to think mm. about it's mm-hmm. like we have been through this together you have seen me with an avoided person mm-hmm we have seen each other go through those things. And so being able to understand that um, we can work on these things, especially in therapy and know that we can have healthy relationships, um, no matter our attachment style. Mm. That's my biggest takeaway, I think. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's the end of our first official episode. Woohoo. And while you wait for some more episodes to come out, why don't you go ahead and go to therapy? What do you say, Lane? I say follow us on Instagram at my <laughs> oh, therapy. Wait, shoot. Yes. And go to therapy. Yes. Okay. Thanks, everyone. We're still learning how to close these things out. So have a great rest of your day or evening or wherever you are in space and time. Goodbye. Thanks, y'all.